Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Gestational Diabetic. I'm your host, Tracy Houston, and I am here to inform you and empower you so that you can be a confident member of your healthcare team. Quick medical disclaimer, none of the information on this podcast can be used to treat or diagnose any condition. If you feel as though you're having any medical issues, please discuss them with your healthcare provider. Today's episode is super informative and it's about an awesome topic, keto and breastfeeding. We brought on Laura Pinnock, who is keto.4.breastfeeding on on Instagram, and she is a breastfeeding consultant as well as a registered dietitian and so she is actually the first person the first registered dietitian that I've come across who is pro keto diet for losing weight uh and I mean not to say that there aren't any other ones out there but she was one that I saw and especially um concerning the postpartum period so I thought that she had such a unique take on you know the the idea of using keto for losing weight instead of what it was general uh, initially d- designed for, which was for children with epilepsy. So we we brought her on to talk about keto in postpartum, keto with breastfeeding, and how it affects your supply and how it affects the composition of your breast milk. And there was just so many good nuggets of information that she dropped in this episode. I've seen some moms talking about, you know, wanting to try keto as a a method to lose weight after the baby, because perhaps they were overweight uh, before getting pregnant, or they were, they saw that, you know, they're losing weight, or they were able to maintain their weight during pregnancy with eating lower carbs because of gestational diabetes, or maybe they just want to, you know, lose their, their baby weight after pregnancy in a quick way, or, you know, some way that's kind of planned out and organized some kind of diet for them to follow. And so keto is something that comes up a lot in conversation um, amongst gestational diabetic moms. So I wanted to bring Laura on so that she could help us kind of decipher and understand how keto plays a role in our postpartum period. And since she's certified in it, also in our breast milk production and uh, establishing that relationship with the baby. So let's get into it. Hi, Lord. Thank you so much for coming on. Can you start us off by telling us who you are, where you're from, and how you got started with all of this? Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So my name is Laura Pinnock and I am a registered dietitian and a certified breastfeeding specialist. And I live in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, where it is winter about nine months out of the year. And yeah, it's a, (laughs) it's a different place, but it's gorgeous. And I have two little girls that are four and one and they're really the reason why I, I do what I do. I, we moved here so that I could uh, work and have my own private practice. And so that's what I do. So I get to spend a little bit more time with my girls. How long have you been a dietitian and doing in your own, in your own practice? I have been, I've had my own practice for two, well, maybe three years, I guess now. And, um, prior to that, I worked as a pediatric dietitian, uh, for 10 years or so, and, uh, specialized in ketogenic diets at a children's hospital. 
And that's how I actually got into the world of keto was working with kids with epilepsy and other neurological disabilities and using the ketogenic diet to help heal their brain and help them have better, better lives. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah we, we had a dietitian. I can't remember which episode she was from, but, um, she, it, uh, Madeline, Madeline was her name. And she explained to us that the ketogenic diet did start for children with epilepsy. And, yeah. um, then somewhere along the line, people discovered that it was good for weight loss or that a lot of people lost weight. And so it kind of became, mm-hmm. you know, part of the health world weight loss trend thing. Yeah. It's so interesting in the 10 years or so that I've been in the keto world, the, the focus has really, um, not so much shifted, but has embraced other areas where it can be really helpful. So the Charlie foundation is a foundation that is really responsible for bringing the ketogenic world, um, to epilepsy, kind of reinvigorating it. And in the time that, you know, I've followed them, they've really changed from being like epilepsy and like metabolic, uh, disorders very specifically to now embracing, uh, as cancer therapies and, um, traumatic brain injuries, stroke Mm. victims, and, uh, and then also recognizing how it can be really helpful in metabolic health. So, uh, it's been so cool to see, um, just how much it has expanded in, Mm -hmm. you know, less than 10 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. Now there is a lot of misinformation on the internet about what the keto diet actually is. So can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, for sure. So the ketogenic diet is a diet that is high in fat, low in carbohydrates, and then moderate in protein. So moderate in protein just means that you're eating the amount of protein that your body needs and not an excessive amount. So a lot of times people think of keto as like the original Atkins diet where people would sit down and eat half a cow for a meal or something like that. And that's not what the, what the goal is. Um, it's really, you know, generally the same amount of protein that you were eating before. And it's just a shift to eating fewer carbs and then replacing that energy with fat. Okay. Oh yeah. That was going to be one of my questions was that with the lower carb amount, how are um, how are we getting what we need for our, our energy levels, especially as a mom in postpartum who's breastfeeding or sure. yes. And it's really interesting. A ketogenic diet in a breastfeeding mom is very different than even in a mom who's pregnant or okay. in somebody who's not, um, not breastfeeding. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because your body really uses a ton of carbs to make milk and, in order to do that, you have, you can be eating a lot more carbs than you would otherwise. So, you know, typically women that are doing a ketogenic diet to lose weight and keep blood sugar levels under control, they're looking at 30 grams of net carbs. And when you're breastfeeding, you're wanting to hit 50 grams of net carbs as your minimum. Uh, for some people that aren't breastfeeding or pregnant, that's not even going to put them into ketosis. But when you're breastfeeding and you're expending so much extra energy, you get those extra carbs too. 
Gotcha. So I always tell people it's not less isn't better. You know, the goal isn't to get as few carbs as you can. It's really to get as many carbs as your body tolerates. And that's something that changes from person to person. We all have this carbohydrate tolerance level and it's largely dependent on our, our genetics and our activity level and, and things like that. And so there's a lot of wiggle room for, for finding the, the tolerance level that a mom has. So when you say tolerance level, are you, do you mean like, um, I mean, are you looking at blood sugar to measure that or you could be so in a mom that has gestational diabetes or type two diabetes, where you are monitoring blood sugar levels, you can definitely see that, you know, the goal is to keep those, those blood sugar levels down and then Mm -hmm. ketones above like a 0.5, which I know isn't going to make much sense, but the, the goal of ketosis is to have your carbs low enough that your body starts to burn fat instead. And one of those byproducts of burning fat is ketones. And the one that we measure in blood, the same way you would measure with a finger prick uh, for your blood sugar, it's called beta hydroxybutyrate. And ketosis is 0.5 millimoles per liter beta hydroxybutyrate in your blood or higher. So it's another thing where you don't have to get this really high number to be doing well. We just want to keep your, your ketones at 0.5 or between 0.5 to three typically. Um, so you can tell if you're staying under your carb tolerance level, if you're able to maintain ketosis. And then if you're not checking those levels, if you're not checking your blood sugar, you're not checking blood ketones, then a lot of people know that they are staying under that tolerance level by an increase in energy. Brain fog goes away. They're able to think really clearly. They don't have food cravings and their energy level just stays consistent. You don't get that super hangry, I have to eat like right now feeling, uh, Mm -hmm. you're able to, you know, feel satisfied between meals and not feel like you have to snap constantly. So usually the, the brain fog, the lack of energy, um, for some people that explain it kind of like almost like a, a cloud of depression, it's just kind of like your, your, your brain just isn't functioning at its full potential. And when they switch to using ketones for energy by, by following this low carb diet, then they're able to start to think a little bit more clearly. And, and that's a good sign for them that they're staying under their carb tolerance level. Right. Now, is that, was that a, a positive result also, um, in the children with epilepsy that they they got clearer? Yeah, that's, that's such an interesting question. And it's, it's hard in kids because you could be, you could be using this diet as young as infants. And then Mm. they also have the added complication of, Mm. of being on anti-epileptic drugs, which can cause brain fog and, um, mood changes and things like that. So it's a little bit harder to see in kids. Um, but teenagers are able to report Mm. that as well as, you know, adults that have experienced it too. So just in talking with other adults that have used keto, um, they definitely report that improvement in, in brain function for them. And it's because your body uses, or your brain uses ketones for energy and it actually preferentially uses ketones for energy. So, um, ketones make your brain happy. 
and can help your brain function really well. And so that's why it's used in, you know, traumatic brain injuries and in um, stroke victims and things like that, because um, their brains can really, by switching the metabolism, um, can really work a little bit better. It's so amazing how the body works and, you know, how we can, you know, kind of manipulate uh, or not manipulate, but, you know, just use different strategies to, you know, better our bodies. That's so amazing to me. Okay. And then you talked about testing ketones. Is that something that a mom could do at home by herself? Yeah. Yeah. There are monitors available that are just like your blood sugar monitor. And what's really great is over the years, they've gotten less expensive. When I first started, they were like $5 a strip, which is ridiculous. If you think about, yeah, checking it on a daily basis, it was, it was completely impossible for most people. Um, they're like under a dollar a strip and you don't have to do it all the time. So if I have a mom that's wanting to check ketones when she's getting started, then you might start checking it once or twice a day. Um, but over time, you know what that feeling of ketosis is like, and mm. you may play around with it to mm. see, like, I'm going to have this food. How does my body respond to that? Or I'm going to do this exercise. I'm kind of curious about what happens. It's really more like a science experiment at that point, just to see how your body responds to different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can check your blood sugar too. So you get two different strips and one poke and you can check your, your ketones and then you can check your blood sugar as well with the same poke. Um, Hopefully eventually there will be essentially a ketone, a continuous Mm. ketone monitor. Like there's the continuous glucose monitors because I think it would be super fascinating to see what ketones are doing in a 24 hour period. Just like it's amazing to see Mm. what your blood sugar is doing in a 24 hour period. Because I think that's going to really allow people who are especially using this for therapeutic reasons. So epilepsy, um, cancer treatment, things like that. Um, you, you can really kind of dial in what that ratio of ketones to your glucose to ketones is and, um, really, uh, make some big impact in, in your health. Wow. Okay. So then real quick, uh, you, cause you mentioned a few benefits of the diet. So you said more energy. Yeah. Uh, less brain fog or clearer thinking, better, yeah. clear, better or clearer thinking, uh, losing weight. Yeah. And then what were some other ones? So reduced inflammation is another big one. And okay. the reason for that is because ketones are actually anti-inflammatory. And so if you have somebody who struggles with inflammation in their body, um, they have pain, they have joint stiffness and, um, the just being in ketosis, even before you start to lose weight, will that inflammation will start to go down and you will start to see improvements in your pain, which is really amazing, especially if somebody has arthritis or, you know, old high school injuries, things like that. You can start to really notice a difference even before you see the, the weight loss. These other side effects or benefits will show up first. Gotcha. So are there side effects that are considered to be not so desirable? Yeah, definitely. So one of the biggest things that you hear about is keto flu yes. and that I, it goes hand in hand with a decrease in your milk supply. 
So the, mm. the reason why I do what I do is because there isn't a lot of guidance out there for moms that are breastfeeding and wanting to do keto. And as a breastfeeding mom myself, I have done keto with two um, breastfeeding babies, <laughs> I guess I'm okay. to say that, yeah. through two breastfeeding experiences. And, yes. um, you know, you work so hard as a mom to build your supply, develop that, that relationship with your infant. And yeah. you don't want to do anything to sacrifice that. I mean, it's, right. it's everything. And so, um, losing your supply is not, you shouldn't have to choose between losing your supply and feeling better. So having more mm. energy, losing weight, if that's your goal, Mm -hmm. Um, you shouldn't have to choose between those two things. And a lot of times we feel like we have to, and I know like personally in my second pregnancy, um, I was keto through most of it and then kind of dropped off towards the end. And, uh, I noticed a huge difference in my mood and in my mental clarity. I just couldn't get things done. And, as a mom with a baby that was feeding every three hours around the clock, like I needed to have as much energy as I could and mm -hmm. kind of be more on game on my game than I was. And so I was like, okay, I'm going back. But if I'm struggling with this as somebody that specializes in keto, like mm. how are other moms feeling? And right. I knew what to do to prevent any loss to my supply. Um, but you know, there isn't any information out there on how to do it. So nope. I put keto flu mm. and preventing or like, and losing your milk supply are kind of in the same bucket. And okay. the reasons are the same. Your electrolytes are out of whack. And so what happens when you start using fat for energy, you're in ketosis, your body starts flushing out a ton of excess fluid because carbs store fluid and you start to pee out all that extra fluid and you're peeing out a ton of electrolytes. And okay. in order to beat keto flu, keep your milk supply up, you've got to replace those electrolytes. And what I saw in a lot of groups, like low carb keto mom groups online was people saying, oh, you need to take this potassium chloride. You take this supplement, you take this supplement. Yeah. And you don't, and you can get into some trouble when you start playing around with things like electrolytes, if they're, if they're not balanced well. And I was like, you can absolutely do this with a food approach and mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be expensive because you're paying for all these supplements and it can be accessible to anybody um, because you don't have to buy all these supplements and it's safer too, because you're getting, you're getting the nutrients that you need from food. But if you're able to replace those electrolytes, then you're not going to see a dip in your supply and your keto flu symptoms are going to be pretty uh, minimal. And, and what people see with keto flu is they'll have like a decrease in energy. They'll feel really tired, maybe headaches, um, maybe nausea. None of my clients have that experience because we're getting on top of electrolytes from day one, but mm -hmm. it is a side effect. Um, I would get grumpy. So it would be like afternoon, I'd be getting home from work and I'd be like, just grumpy. I'd be like, oh, I need my broth, which is part of my, my plan for replacing sodium. And mm -hmm. so I'd have my broth and within 20 minutes, I felt like a normal human being again. 
Um, but like, yeah, just getting kind of grumpy. You might have a little bit of uh, brain fog, which is kind of the opposite of what we're going for. But it's again, when your body is transitioning from using carbs for energy to using fat for energy, there's just this natural process that happens because you're just not efficient at it yet. But if you're supported gotcha. with those electrolytes and fluids and eating the right foods, then you're going to get over it uh, pretty quickly. Most of my clients, I would say like by day four are on the upswing and starting to feel the energy come back. So, okay. I would think, I don't know, we've kind of conditioned ourselves to, well, I shouldn't say that, but you know, birthing is a natural part of our lives as women, right? And, but it's also a, a traumatic experience, mm, really. Mm, mm. And so coming out of that traumatic experience of birth, and then, I don't know, perhaps um, a C-section or, you know, whatever complications happen in labor, would you suggest starting the a brand new diet, maybe keto is brand new to them, but they knew that they wanted to start it in postpartum. Mm -hmm. Would that be something that you suggest that they start uh, right away after birth or maybe, you know, wait until healing has happened or, you know, what? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. And it's definitely something I talk to people about a lot because um, say you're already doing low carb before you have your baby. Mm -hmm. You can keep going. Like there's no need to change anything because with, with my approach, again, I believe in focusing on food first. So we're talking about lots of really great nutrients for recovery. So big focus on collagen and glycine and getting enough protein and really fueling your body and meeting your needs for recovery. Um, that's all really vital. And in something that if you had started keto before you had your baby, you could just keep going. Now, the reason why I say that is because there's no adaptation period. You're already doing it. Your body's already become keto adapted, which means your organs are starting to use ketones first. So if they have the choice of glucose or ketones, they're choosing ketones. And okay. so you're already good at it. <laughs> mm -hmm. if, if you're a mom that has had a, a higher carb diet and you have your baby, I tell moms to wait at least eight to 12 weeks. And it's not because of the lack of like nutrients necessarily, because again, uh, this approach is very nutrient dense. So you're really getting a lot of really great recovery um, foods from, from a keto, a well-formulated keto diet, but you don't want to do anything that can impact your milk supply. And between birth and like that eight to 12 week mark, your body's milk supply is driven by hormones. And this is when you're most sensitive to disruption. So <laughs> Say you become too dehydrated, you're not getting the right electrolytes, you're, something isn't working with your diet, and then you're more likely to see a decrease in your supply. After that 8 to 12 week mark, your, your body has moved from that hormone-driven supply to supply and demand. 
So it's largely dependent mm-hmm. on efficient, effective milk removal. So I talk a lot with my clients about how often baby is nursing, how often you're pumping, what does the latch look like? Um, because if you see a, a drop in supply after that 12 week mark, it's usually not due to the diet. There's usually something else that's going on. So late onset, like delayed, um, milk supply or or decrease in milk supply is often due to other reasons. And so it's good to have your milk supply established before you make any drastic changes to your Mm -hmm. diet, because then you're chasing multiple factors and it's harder to identify what maybe caused that decrease. And whenever I've seen moms you know, say that they've taken a huge hit to their supply when they've started with a keto diet, it's, it's because their electrolytes aren't on point and they don't know the right way to do keto. Cause again, it's different for moms, um, and breastfeeding moms. And, and so we have different needs and our needs are higher. And then, then they were, you know, for a lot of women that were maybe doing keto before they got pregnant, it just looks different. Gotcha. Wow. That's, that's a ton of great information, you know, and I was uh, thinking back about my children. I, I breastfed both, but with my first, uh, we went about five, five and a half months. And with my second, well, he spent the first five weeks in the NICU. Oh. So, okay. With my first, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I thought, you know, as long as she ate, you know, I didn't have to pump or whatever to, yeah. to keep my supply going and all that. And then with my second, he spent the first month in a NICU. So and so, um, I was able to pump a ton and I felt so good because I had a ton stored up for when he came home and stuff. And um, he ended up feeding for only about four months. And it was kind of like a mutual decision between uh-huh. us. Like, I don't know. It was, it was yeah. weird. It's like, we felt each other like, okay, this, this really isn't it for us, We're you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and plus I started to dry up too, but when I think about it, it was around that three month mark where uh-huh. things changed in both, both of the experiences. So that's yeah. super interesting to me. Um, man, I wish I knew this stuff, you know, I know. And that's, you know, honestly, that's, that's why I, I do what I do with my firsts. Um, I wasn't keto. I had a healthy pregnancy, but, um, looking back, I was probably having a lot of blood sugar swings because Mm. I vomited constantly the entire pregnancy and it wasn't a hyperemesis, um, situation, I think it was very much due to blood sugar. And I had a, you know, kind of regular high carb clean ish, I thought diet, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't serving me very well. And that combined with my baby who was born with, um, tongue, lip and cheek ties, but we didn't discover those until she was about 14 weeks old. So by that point I had passed the hormone driven milk supply and I was now into supply and demand. And I'd had a feeder for 14 weeks that wasn't efficient at removing milk. And so I was never able to establish a full supply with her. 
And for me, that was absolutely devastating. (laughs) And I literally did everything. Like I did the, you know, the pumping, the triple feeding, the medication from overseas, like everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and I went into like, it was a kind of a traumatic experience just from, from that feeding relationship standpoint, we ended up going on to, um, she fed literally until the night before her sister was born because <laughs> her sister came wow. at 36 weeks and I thought I'd have a few more weeks to kind of wean the three-year-old, but yeah. it didn't happen. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like, and you're done. <laughs> yeah. But in that time I had, switched to a paleo lifestyle because my first had a dairy allergy. I found out that I didn't tolerate gluten at all. And I'd been trying to ignore that for years. Um, And so I got gone more paleo and then I started playing more with keto and discovered that my body was so much happier in ketosis than I had ever been. Um, Mm -hmm. Just I felt so much better than I ever had. So I really improved my metabolic health quite a bit between baby number one and baby number two. And when I I was working with an IBCLC, when I was pregnant, I just wanted to be like, okay, what's our plan for this baby? Like I, with my second, I need to have a plan. Like I want this to work. And she was like, you've been doing keto for two years. She's like, you are going to be fine. She's like the last time she was like, it was the ties, which now, you know, to look for immediately, but also like your hormones were sensitive to like, we suspect your hormones were sensitive to blood sugar imbalances. And so for me, having my blood sugar swing so much, uh, made me less efficient at creating milk. I was not successful. So I had half a supply with baby number one. And I ended up with a full supply with baby number two. And, and that was really powerful for me. Cause I know that it was a lot of work that I'd done on my own health between those two um, periods of time. Um, and then also just expanding my knowledge and becoming a certified breastfeeding specialist and, and trying to do this just to help other moms that, you know, are fighting the same, the same battle. Right. So, okay. Aside from keto, you- the the blood sugar swings you said they affect your breast milk production so okay because a lot of a lot of moms with gestational diabetes you know we eat this diet for three months that you know we don't necessarily want to we're forced into this yeah you know (laughs) after birth everyone or even like three months before birth happens they're thinking about what's my first meal gonna be after all of this is over you know so, um, so yeah, how, like, I mean, I would assume, I would guess that it's okay to, you know, have a, a high carb meal or, you know, a cheat meal, a reward or whatever you want to call it after birth. But, um, is that, should we still be sensitive and mindful about our carb intake if we want to continue uh, breastfeeding? Yes, absolutely. And this is something that we're just really starting to learn more about, Um, but your breast tissue has insulin receptors, just like the rest of your body. And so if you have insulin resistance, 
and your body just does not respond to the signal of insulin the way it's supposed to. Not only can that impact your blood sugar, but it can impact your milk supply as well. And it's, I mean, it's something that no one talks about. Mm -hmm. is absolutely a factor. And so, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the old research on the number of people that, the number of women that can't um, successfully breastfeed was like a 5% rate. And we really suspect that it's significantly higher. And a lot of that has to do with increasing, you know, prevalence or diagnosis of, of insulin resistance types of, of, um, health issues. So PCOS Mm -hmm. and gestational diabetes and more women that have prediabetes before they become pregnant and things like that are going to over time really start to show that, that it impacts your milk supply or can impact your milk supply. Some women aren't going to be as sensitive to it as others are. And we don't yet know why that is. Mm Um, they say for PCOS, like a third of women will have an oversupply, a third of women will have an undersupply and a third of women will have an adequate supply. Um, so there's, you know, these huge variations in like the rates, but if you're diagnosed with type two diabetes and, or not with type two diabetes, but with gestational diabetes, like, you know, that your body again, just isn't handling those carbs as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that, even though it's going to improve quite a bit when baby's born, you still have that impaired carb tolerance. And so while it may seem like, okay, my blood sugar numbers are like back to normal and I can go back to eating the way I was before, you want to be cautious with that um, because you are at higher risk for developing type two diabetes, mm-hmm. but also like your body, you grew a human, you're recovering and anything that you can do to help like stabilize your blood sugar levels and keep those insulin spikes from happening is going to support your health longer term. So looking beyond just milk supply, but ahead to another pregnancy, if that's your goal or, you know, 10 years down the line when you, you know, your babies are grown, growing and wanting to be healthy for them. Um, it's, yes. it, it can be tempting mm. to want to go back to the high carb stuff, but it can really be in, in your health interest to, to think about carbs the way you did when you were pregnant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Take what you learn from this experience and apply it moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the, how does keto affect breast milk composition like since you said it's high fat you know you know how breast milk separates and it shows that layer is there more fat in breast milk or like you know is there anything that changes yeah no that's so interesting um and there's kind of like I don't know a a legend or a myth that like your breast milk gets more fatty now I suppose that could be possible like if you were really under eating like not just under eating fat, but like you were really malnourished and then you started to eat fat and that fixed everything. But mm-hmm. no, the, the amount of fat in your milk supply mm-hmm. is dependent on when baby last ate, how much of your breast was drained, um, hmm. things like that, mm-hmm. like frequency of feeds. That's what impacts the actual like fat content. 
Um, what, what a keto diet will, can change though, is the types of fat in your milk. So if you're eating like a really high omega-3 keto diet, like a Mediterranean kind of keto diet, you're going to have higher concentrations of like omega-3 fatty acids in your breast milk. If you were doing a like dirty keto, which people, it's like a highly processed keto where you're getting a lot of processed foods, which I don't Mm -hmm. recommend. Um, but if, if you're doing that and you're getting a lot of vegetable oils and processed foods, like that's going to change your breast milk composition kind of in a more negative way, um, because you're going to be getting fats that, uh, are more of the polyunsaturated fats. And so having the higher omega-3 is going to be better than having the higher PUFA concentration. Um, but that's really what changes is the, the types of fats. Okay. That's cool. All right. So are there, what are the foods or, or should I say, are there foods that should be completely avoided doing the ketogenic diet? Yeah. I have people avoid like the grains. So okay. oatmeal, bread, you know, flour, anything made from regular flour, um, beans typically are going to be really high carb and just kind of not worth your carbs essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and rice, quinoa, stuff like that is going to be, is going to be too high in carbs. Um, what we really focus on is, you know, your proteins and fruits and veggies and, and more of a focus on the vegetables. Uh, the goal for my moms is to get five servings of non-starchy veggies a day. So that's things like bell peppers and leafy greens and cucumbers and Brussels sprouts and stuff like that. Um, and kind of like having smaller servings if you want them of things like peas or other starchy kind of veggies. And then um, doing a lot of berries as well, because berries are, are lower in carbs. And you, again, you get more bang for your back. You could have some banana, but you're not going to get the volume that you get from berries. And mm. so um, that's what I tell people to do. But for the most part, like the foods, like the foods that you can't have are like juice, soda, ice cream, you know, regular ice cream, regular cookies, regular bread, things like that. And just focusing on again, the more whole foods. Um, and, and you can do really well with that. Gotcha. Do you happen to follow any of the keto bloggers, recipe bloggers? Like, you know, is there someone that you really like out there? I love, um, nom nom and she, it, there's, oh, yeah. she's G N O M G N O M. Um, and I love her recipes. She, we made some gingerbread muffins and gingerbread cookies, uh, for Christmas mm-hmm. and she's great. I, I like, I haven't tried a single recipe from her that I don't like. She's got some great low carb tortilla recipes and I have to be dairy free. So I do a completely dairy free keto diet and she has a lot of recipes that are dairy free, which I really like. Now it's, it's just nomnom.com. It's not the nom nom paleo. It's not the nom nom paleo. No. And there's okay. an extra G there's G N O M. And I think it's dash G N O M. Okay. And like her recipes are my favorites. 
Um, again, I have to be dairy free. If you can do dairy, like there's a whole world out there. Right. <laughs> but that's the other thing too about keto is that you don't have to, you, you can be a vegetarian, you can be dairy free, you can be egg free, you can, you can meet a lot of um, diet restrictions, you know, for you or for your baby. Um, it doesn't have to be like a meat and egg bacon based keto diet. Like there's right. so many ways to do it. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought keto was, um, yeah. what two or three years ago, it, that was when like, I just started paying attention to it. And all these people were talking about butter, bacon and meat. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, but at some point that has to be you gotta have something else. I mean, seriously, and that's the thing. Like, my moms have better diets on keto, like you know, more nutrient dense mm-hmm. food on keto than they did before. And one of my moms recently said she was like, "I'm enjoying food so much more than awesome. I have before because it tastes better." She's like, "I can add fat and salt to my veggies, and they taste great." Like, yes. Yes, we should enjoy the food we're eating. Like totally. That's what makes it sustainable. That's what makes it possible for people to do and really get joy from it. Because I don't believe in anybody eating something just because they're told that it's healthy. Like that's dumb. Like mm-hmm. you need to eat food that fuels your body and that you enjoy. Um, because food's, you know, so much more than just uh, energy. Yeah. So talking about sustainability, how, I mean, is there like a recommended period of time that this should be done? Should it stop after you reach your weight goals or whatever it may be? Yeah, I know. That's a great question. And it totally depends on what your goals are. Now you don't want to approach it like a crash diet, you know, um, okay. because if you go all in and then you're like, okay, I'm at my goal. I am going to start eating pop tarts and sugary cereal and all the carbs because I am now looking fine. Like that's not <laughs> going to do you any good because yeah. there is a reason why your body is doing well on keto. And for a lot of people, it's just, it's that carb tolerance piece. Like their body just doesn't tolerate carbs the way, you know, if you have a friend that's the same height, like lives on your same street and doesn't have any history of, of insulin resistance or blood sugar issues at all. Like they're going to eat, they're going to be able to eat more carbs than you are. Like that's just how it works. Um, again, largely based on your genetics that, you know, family history of type two diabetes, things like that, your body just doesn't tolerate carbs the way somebody else's does. So if you were to go back to eating like your regular carb diet, you're going to gain it back. Like that's just how it works. So it's important to go into it knowing that this isn't just a crash diet. This is more of a lifestyle approach. Now, when you do get to your goal weight, you can start increasing those carbs. And again, we're trying to find that carb tolerance level. So how many carbs can you eat that keeps your body at the weight you want to stay at, that keeps your brain clear, that keeps your energy levels up, your pain, you know, pain-free, those are the things that we're looking for at that point. And, you know, for some people it may be, you know, hundred carbs, 120 carbs even. Um, but you're not going to be able to go back to like a standard American diet. 
Do you, is there some kind of range that uh, is considered to be the normal carb amount for a standard American diet? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. I mean, like the, the recommendations is like 50 to 60% of calories from oh, wow. carbs. So that would put you at like, let's see, we're going to do some math, like 1200 calories from carbs. So that's like 300 grams. Oh, well, yeah, I could see how that's, uh, easily eaten in a day, mm-hmm. you know, on the American diet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And far surpassed. You know, what makes me angry recently? Like, uh, what is it? Um, what grinds my gears recently ah, yes. <sighs> is when I walk into, um, or, you know, I just see a commercial or whatever on their McDonald's or pizza hut or something. And it said, make it a meal. And the meal is just the, um, the side, which is either French fries or um, breadsticks, you know, and then a soda yes. for the drink. And it's like, that's not a real meal. That is going to, oh gosh, no, that'll have you stop it for days, first of all. That is so true. <laughs> yes. So that's my pet peeve recently. I'm just like, man, this is why we are so, um, we're struggling in health as a nation. This like, is the problem. Yes. 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 Yeah. And even in my pediatric practice, like I try to teach families, like you don't have to have like your main carb and a carb and then another carb, like Mm -hmm. let's balance it all out with protein and fat. And this is going to help everybody. Right. Yeah. Seeing me for this is going to help you. Um, so yeah, I know you're so right. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting down to it now for breast milk or even I guess just in postpartum recovery, uh, trying to maintain or increase your supply. Are there any superfoods that, you know, like help with that? I know superfood is like a trendy term or whatever, yeah, but right. yeah, is there, are there foods that you recommend? Yes, definitely. So for anybody that is not a vegetarian, my number one recommendation is bone broth. And like, if every mom was served bone broth on her tray at the hospital after having a baby, whether vaginally or by C-section, like that would be the best start to your postpartum um, period. And it's just so full of minerals and collagen for tissue healing. And it really is like the ultimate postpartum superfood. Now you don't have to just drink straight brown bone broth. You can use it in soups. You can use it in recipes. You can use it in a lot of different ways. Um, Mm -hmm. a lot of my moms, I have them just drinking it twice a day, um, on its own, but that's like one of the biggest ones. Also things that are going to be rich in, in glycine. So that's your meats that are cooked on the bone. Um, it could be, you know, a pork roast or carnitas or a, a homemade chicken soup that you make the whole chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that are going to be really great for postpartum recovery. Eggs, uh, leafy greens that are, um, you know, those dark leafy greens. Um, and then lots of like those iron containing foods as well. So meats and, um, those dark meats are really, are really great. Now for my vegetarian moms, it's, it doesn't mean that you're out of luck. (laughs) There's still Mm -hmm. things that you can do really focusing on those, on those 
dark leafy green veggies, as well as if you're okay with some marine collagen peptides, that can be something that you add in as well. Um, if not, then at the very least, you need to be making sure that you're getting like an algae fish oil, <laughs> algae oil for DHA for baby's brain. Okay. Yeah. And then also just focusing on getting enough protein for your recovery too. Very important. Okay. When it comes to getting started, what should a mom's first step be? Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to say that probably their first step should be coming and following me. So yeah, they can get some absolutely. ideas on yes. the right way to do it. Um, you know, you can ask anybody, but it's best to get some, you know, really tailored support and make sure that you get the, the professional recommendations, but, you know, just making sure that you, you have an electrolyte plan is super important. You're knowing how you're going to hydrate. Mm. Um, you have some foods made up because, oh my gosh, like a new mom doesn't have time like to make food and you don't want to get to two, three o'clock in the afternoon and you haven't eaten yet because we all do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're ravenously hungry and you'll eat anything. Right. Um, you want to be able to have like, go grocery shopping, have your food like there and ready to go so that you don't, don't get to that point because it's not good for you. It's not good for your body. It's not good for your milk supply. Like you really need to put your meal meals first. That being yes. said, it doesn't have to be meal like meal prep intensive. Like I I'm not a meal prepper. Like I, <laughs> I just, I like today for lunch, I threw a bunch of olive oil in a pan with some spinach and some eggs. And like, that was my lunch because I had five minutes to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, just, you know, having a plan, knowing what you're going to do, knowing what your body needs is, is the thing to do before you get started. And then also making sure that you've waited for that eight to 12 week period. And for moms that have breastfeed breastfed before you're going to be, you're going to recognize more readily when your milk supply has established. Mm -hmm. And, um, those moms, I'm always like, okay, come on, join, join me when you're around eight weeks postpartum. I'm going to be okay with that. If you're a first time mom, wait until that 12 week mark so that you know exactly how, how your supply is doing. And, and, um, we can go from there. Gotcha. And yeah, so um, I guess the service that you offer, it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching. I actually am doing group coaching now. Um, okay. I found that moms, moms need the support of other moms. So yes. going through the same thing that other moms are going through, whether you are exclusively breastfeeding, exclusively pumping, if you're doing just a little bit of breastfeeding and you don't want to lose that milk supply at all and your formula, whatever, like we all can benefit from being together mm -hmm. and getting that support. So I do small groups where we work together and you, you have individual like attention based on like what your questions are. We do a weekly group zoom call where you can ask anything. It's really a kind of like a troubleshooting space where everyone gets a chance to talk about what they're, what they're doing, what's working for them, what's struggling, what's a struggle for them. And then I offer them support and answers. And, um, the, the great thing about like, working with me is because you don't just get that keto piece. You also get the breastfeeding support as well. 
Yeah. Um, because I think that that's something that's really lost in a lot of keto spaces where, mm-hmm. you know, we can kind of apply what we know, but I don't really know anything about breastfeeding. So good luck with that part. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really combine like that piece of, of breastfeeding support along with the keto support and also just making it something that's doable for you. Right. We don't have time. <laughs> no one has time. So <laughs> exactly everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And then what is your name on Instagram? Yes, it is keto dot or F O R dot breastfeeding. Awesome. We will be sure to link to that in the, um, in the show notes. Awesome. Wonderful. So, I mean, well, we covered a lot, but we did. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything that we didn't uh, touch on that you think the moms would want to know? I don't think so. No. And like, if anybody has questions after, after listening to this, reach out to me over on Instagram. I, I yeah. love to chat with people. I love to talk about this. Right. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm so glad you're doing it. You are the, the first, like I told you, you're the first that I came across that you know, had a different perspective on it because yes. not everything works for everyone. So exactly. And that's the thing, like for some people, keto and breastfeeding is not going to be the right, the right mm-hmm. fit. But for those moms that know they feel great doing keto or are, you know, wanting to keep those, you know, blood sugar levels in control long-term, like there's a way to do it that's safe and effective and can really help you feel great. And so that's, you know, those, that's what those are the moms I'm here for. Not everybody. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Okay. That was such an awesome and informative chat. I hope that you guys learned something, something that you can benefit from and uh, use and apply to yourself going forward. We will link to everything that was mentioned in the episode. I forget that that one thing already, but uh, if, if we mentioned something in, in the episode, and you want to know more about it, just check the show notes page and we'll have it linked there. We'll also link to Laura's Instagram account. And if you have any questions, go ahead and follow up with her. Or if you want to um, have another perspective about this topic, or if there's someone that you know that has a different take on this and has valuable information to offer, then please let me know um, on my website or on my Instagram anywhere. And I would love to reach out to them and see if we can get them on so that we can, you know, be informed and make informed decisions based off of good evidential uh, information. And also just because we, uh, we talked about breastfeeding in this episode, I know I don't want to discourage or, you know, try to sway anyone from breastfeeding or not, but because we mentioned breastfeeding here, I want to also mention our last ep- or yeah episode 15 with Mallory, who was a formula feeding technician. And I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Even if you are 100% not budging, of course, you're going to breastfeed. There's no other option. We, we are faced with circumstances in life all the time that just completely change our plans. And in your case, that may be having to switch to formula when you thought that you were going to be able to breast milk, uh, to, to breastfeed. So um, just to kind of prepare yourself or, you know, just kind of ease your transition, if that does happen, 
I highly suggest that you go back to episode 15 and listen to Mallory give us awesome, I mean, totally awesome information about formula. I highly recommend that episode for any mom that's pregnant because, or even still in the postpartum period where, you know, they're breastfeeding and maybe thinking about formula feeding or the breast milk is drying up, whatever it may be, just because that episode is just packed with a ton of information that Mallory really calms our nerves and eases our minds about the, about what's in breast, excuse me, about what's in formula and how it's made and, you know, how it compares to breast milk and all of that stuff. And she is, she's the expert on it. A happy new year to you and yours. And I will talk to you guys next time.